I'm going to run down the hall and grab my War of the Superman. I'll be right back. One moment, please. By War of the Superman, he means his dick. (laughs) I don't think that's very super. (laughs) You know, when he has the glasses on the thing, it's Clark Kent, but then he takes him off as Superman. I am returned. Hello. Hello. How are you? Hello! (laughs) I was doing that last night for Kicked in the Ice Bags. You'll hear it at the very beginning of the show where I'm just like, Hello, welcome to Kicked in the Dice Bags. Just just like, you Aaron Head? (laughs) Are you stealing my shtick, man? That's my thing. I was just trying to get pep into my step. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I need to do that real quick. You get pep in your step? Does that mean you're you're snorting a little coke to to get jazzed for the show? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, I got to toot a little up. I'll be okay. (laughs) Comedy gold comes at a price. with Aaron and I'm gonna say Johnny I'm Aaron I'm Johnny this is Wayne and this is Tim and Paul is not with us today in fact we are declaring this a Paul free zone as I understand it Paul is in Washington DC testifying before Congress I believe about uh, some kind of war crimes so because of that we're extra polite exactly exactly let my people go Yeah, Paul is gone, gone, gone. And, uh, you know, he might be back. You never know. He, he might be found in contempt of Congress and have to, uh, you know, go to jail. Special congressional jail. Double secret jail. Now we're recording on Saturday. The big Lost finale is tomorrow. Yeah, I'm excited. But like, like I was saying earlier, Sunday is my gaming night, so I won't get to watch it as it comes out. So I'm going to have to avoid the Internet for a while. And probably watch it as soon as I get home, leading to a very late night. Wayne's boss be expecting a phone call. I've got a little bit of stomach flu. I'm not gonna be able to come in. <laughs> why? Why does your Why is your impression of Wayne sound like a stoner? <laughs> because because Wayne is a stoner. Come on, <laughs> make the connection, man. Like, you know, that's wh- that's why I like this show. I learn something new about myself every day. <laughs> Now when I picture Wayne, I can only picture Sean Penn from uh, Fast Times. Yeah, that is exactly that is exactly Wayne. Yeah, you've immediately you've exactly captured him. That and the vampire teeth in the cape. Yeah, I was thinking more <laughs> Jack Black from uh, Lucha Libre. Yeah, yeah. So you can't forget the Batman poncho either. Uh, it, it was raining last week for Bark in the Park, so as soon as we finished recording, first thing I did was throw on my Batman poncho. And took my two dogs up there. I even have a picture of myself up there at Bark in the Park in full Batman poncho. And when I'm saying Batman poncho, I mean it's got the bat symbol on front. It's got the fake utility belt. It's got the hood with the ears on top. (laughs) I am walking around Bark in the Park, you know, in the rain for an hour and a half in a Batman poncho. Oh, Wayne, you are all that and a bag of chips. You know, I take I, it uh, your, your <laughs> wife took one look and stayed home? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she walked around with me. She actually wore the poncho the first time I bought it before I did. We were at uh, Six Flags, and that was where I bought it at. And she wore it that entire day because it was raining, and she didn't she didn't want to get wet. Now, you know, there's so, something adorable and cute about your wife wearing it. You wearing it, though, is a little sad. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, so I thought I was, it was funny. Wayne gets the poncho, and uh, he gives the wife the Robin miniskirt. Oh, yeah. So we were, I went to the Muni once, which is uh, basically a local outdoor amphitheater, and we're watching a uh, we're watching the producers there, and it starts raining. So I've got a couple umbrellas in my car, so I'm walking to my car to grab them for a couple people with us. And as I walk by a section, I'm wearing the full Batman poncho. An entire section at the Muni starts going na 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 Batman. Nice. Yes, I am a dork. <laughs> so Aaron, I heard that you got a new gaming toy. Paul upgraded his Xbox, so he sent me his old Xbox, and so now I'm Xbox guy. And I'm using it primarily for Netflix. <laughs> and I, I have several games, but I suck so hard on uh, every game I play. And I, I think a lot of that's got to do with the fact that I don't have a whole lot of time to sit and play. Like, you know, I listen to the guys on Bear Swarm. And Mike will talk about, yeah, I'm 30 hours into this game. And I can tell you I'm about 45 minutes into, you know, the four games I own. <laughs> you know? And, what, and, what four games? Um, I've got Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2. I've got uh, Ghostbusters, Star Trek Legacy, and uh, the Batman Lego. And I have to say I haven't even opened up the Batman Lego yet. But I suck. I suck really hard. I've played most of those, none of them for 360 because I don't have a 360. But there are actually a lot of good games there. The Lego Batman, absolutely love. The uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2, I got a chance to play online with a bunch of friends when it came out. I don't even remember what else you said, but there's at least one other game in there that sounded good. Uh, Star Trek Legacy, Ghostbusters? It Ghostbusters. definitely wasn't the Star Trek game. <laughs> no, it was, there's a lot of cool things in Ghostbusters, a lot of hidden things. Yeah. Like as you're playing through, there's a bar mitzvah. And there's an achievement you can get if you destroy the pig, the ham that's on the table. Uh-huh. And the achievement is something along the lines of uh, making it kosher. Well, you know, my, my problem is, is I think a lot of these games are really built to, you know, for those guys who are just spending hours and hours playing them. And, you know, you, you're, you're, you're building, you know, your abilities. And this particularly annoys me in Marvel Ultimate Alliance that I expect when I'm playing Captain America, I should be able to do all the things Captain America does the minute I start playing that character, as opposed to having to unlock abilities and, and, and that kind of thing. I, that whole delayed gratification in games irritates the tar out of me. It gives you something to look forward to, though. When you're playing the game, you think, okay, I just leveled. What power can I get? It's the RPG slash MMO mindset and, they're trying to build into the game. And I understand that when I'm playing, like in the Ghostbusters game where you're playing a trainee, that makes sense. But when I'm playing Spider-Man, unless I'm playing Spider-Man's origin story... Did you say you're playing a tranny? (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man? Okay. (laughs) But, you know, when when you're playing, you know, an established character, I expect to be able to do those those character things from the get-go. And it it just annoys me that... You know, you're playing Marvel Ultimate Alliance, and it's picking up kind of in a Civil War theme. I should be able to pick up those characters and play them 
as they are in the comic, as opposed to having to learn all these new things and unlock all these abilities. It's, it's, I don't have time for, for the delayed gratification. I just want to be able to say, okay, I'm playing Captain America. Let's do all this awesome stuff and dazzle me with the story and the surprises. Don't try and dazzle me by, you know, unlocking abilities. You know, that was the first game I played multiplayer on the PlayStation 3 online. And I'm playing with a friend, and we actually get defeated. And it's like, well, screw that. So we we switch up our team, and we come back in with Hulk, uh, Juggernaut, Wolverine, and I think the thing. Basically, the three, the four biggest, toughest, hardest-to-kill characters we bring in and just kind of wipe the floor with everyone. Because, I mean, who's going to stand up to a combination of the Hulk and the Juggernaut? Yeah, I, I do like the game. I, I, it's very pretty, and you know, I like the way it plays. I just, I, I don't care for the delayed gratification. But that's true for most games. You know, I don't, I don't like that. Now, Red Dead Redemption is is out now, and from back in my PS2 days, I loved Red Dead Revolver. Loved that game, and I, I, I I'm gonna have to go pick up Red Dead Redemption. Are any of you guys playing that yet? I am. What do you think? I love it. Love it. How deep are you into it? Uh, not very. <laughs> I mean, I, it just came out on Tuesday. I picked it up on Wednesday. Right. Um, so this is my first weekend with it, much to my girlfriend's dismay. It's uh, It seems like it's going to be a very time-consuming, in-depth game, Aaron. So I don't know if you're prepared <laughs> for that. See, and that's my thing. I mean, just the time commitment to play video games. Why can't it just be like Pac-Man? There's a lot of games out there that are short and sweet. Batman Arkham Asylum, ridiculously short. Yeah, Batman Arkham Asylum, uh, Modern Warfare 2, if you're playing the single player, is very, very short. Um, I heard that uh, The Force Unleashed uh, was very short. Uh, You know, uh, there's a lot of uh, games on the new systems that are only running like 7 to 10 hours long at this point. Yeah, because that's my bitch, actually, is a lot of the games I've been picking up. Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2 was too short for me. Batman you know, Arkham Asylum was ridiculously short for me. Less than 10 hours of gameplay overall. I beat the thing in three days. I mean, there's for a lot a of hits. For a $60 game, you get. you're not getting your you're not getting your money's worth for a $60 no, game. No, I was glad I rented that one instead of buying it. Well, let me ask you, you know, you're – you're you're playing through these games pretty quickly. What when you sit down to play, what is your usual interval in front of the in front of your machine? Seven hours. Seriously. It depends if it's on, a weekend. Wow. Yeah, it depends on the game. I can do three to four hour chunks usually. See and I and I, I think that's that's exactly who the who the games are designed for because, you know, I'm I'm doing good if I can do an hour. You know, and then I've got to go up I've got another commitment that I'm running off to go take care of. You can't get anywhere in an hour. Yeah, like right now I'm playing a lot of Left 4 Dead 2 on Steam, and when I start playing that, we'll start at like 9 p.m., and we'll end at 1 or 2. God. <laughs> wow. That's one, of, that's one of those games that's fun to play late at night, though. Yeah, and it's a game that's much better if you're playing with other people. So oh, speaking ahead. of Pac-Man from earlier, did everyone see what Google did for the 30th anniversary of Pac-Man? You actually go to the Google site, and the word Google was written in Pac-Man, and if you clicked on it, it was the game. You could control it with your arrow keys. If you hit the uh, what normally is the you know feeling lucky button, they renamed that to insert coin. You hit that, and Ms. Pac-Man popped up on the screen too, and could be controlled with WSAD. So you could have a two-person Pac-Man going on Google's website. See, I think I think that's a bad idea. Pac-Man's <laughs> I, Pac-Man's not not something that you want to uh, to inflict upon others. 
<laughs> it, it, le- it leads to it leads to ecstasy and techno. <laughs> it sounds like a game more air and speed time wise though. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Red Dead Redemption, sixty dollar game, worth every penny. And it actually for me it was only twenty dollars. Uh, there's a deal going on right now with uh, GameStop where if you they have a list of games, if you trade in two of them, they give you forty dollars off the game. Oh. So you, you trade in your games. Oh yeah. So uh, I, I was reading online this week. There was a uh, conversation about the game industry, or at least one one guy in the game industry, and I forget who he was. But you know, he says that uh, that is worse than piracy for game manufacturers or game publishers is the uh, resale market, and that they should uh, do things to curtail that and, and end the resale market as we know it today. Well, I would say from a business standpoint, that may be logical, but. From a consumer standpoint, that's completely ridiculous. I would say that's a well-thought-out argument, Jonathan, and I would say to this guy that feels that way, fuck you. Fuck you in the ass. <laughs> well, I think, that, I think that was a lot of people's response. You know, what What I think they're, they're missing is that folks are generally willing to spend $60 on a game that they know they're probably going to get $20 back in credit on when they resell it a couple of weeks later. You know, yeah, the- I usually don't buy things new. I wait until it's been out for about a month or so, yeah. so I can get it at a slightly cheaper price. Left for Dead 2, I only bought after it went for sale on for 20 bucks on Steam. Well, and like I was saying before, the four games I have, every single one of those was bought resale. You know, I didn't spend more than 20 bucks on any of those games, and I I have a I spend a ton of money on media. I don't see me spending 60 dollars on a game, particularly when, like I've said, uh, I don't have that much time to play. You know, my frustration with consoles right now is each console has its own network set up for multiplayer play. I think it would be cool if the game player, you know, the game developers themselves set up these networks so you could actually have a Xbox version of the game playing with a PlayStation 3 version. I've got friends on both. I'm on PlayStation 3, but most people are on 360. Yeah. So like Red Dead Redemption, I don't know anyone buying it for PlayStation 3. I don't know if it's worth buying it for just the single player. Yeah. Because from everything I hear, the really cool stuff comes in the multiplayer. Uh, well, no, I, I'm going to have to disagree with that. I think that uh, the single player is time-consuming enough. Uh, I, I think that the multiplayer for it is heads and shoulders above anything that Rockstar has ever done in that field. And I I, I think I, I want to see them continue with that format moving, moving forward into – you know their next Grand Theft Auto games and things like that, but the single player I I think is is enough. Wayne, I don't even know if I know you anymore. How long have we been, ta- how long have we been talking? And I didn't know you had a PS3. <laughs> you can tell you can ask Jonathan. I've been whining about people to play PS3 with because nobody's on PS3 with me. I've got the same complaint. I I didn't know very few people at all. I mean, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2 is the game I got the most people to play with, but since then there hasn't been much. All right. Well, not now. Now that I know, you know, we'll, we'll, do, a funny, we'll do a little talk. Now, Jonathan, uh, do you still have Marvel Ultimate Alliance too? Uh no. But uh, if you ever wanted to play, just let me know, and I'll go pick it up for like twenty bucks or whatever it is now. Well, Paul and I are supposed to, you know, I'd like to point out I've had this thing for about a month and a half, and Paul and I are supposed to be playing Marvel Ultimate Alliance too, and that hadn't happened yet. But uh, you know, would be real interested in. in playing with somebody who can yell at me over the phone and tell me how much I suck. 
<laughs> over the line and tell me how much I suck. Uh, man. Oh yeah, because I've been playing. I've been playing <laughs> Xbox multiplayer for a long time, so I I really uh, captured the spirit of the whole frat boy multiplayer mentality of basically cursing you out and saying, <laughs> and saying things I would never say to someone's face. Yeah, well, you know, I just need you, you know, while I'm playing Wolverine, I need you to call me a pussy. That's what I need you to do. <laughs> Why are you hanging at the back? You know, Ultimate Alliance 2 was one of the few games I actually pre-ordered just because I wanted Juggernaut. Mm-hmm. And Juggernaut, thankfully, was a ridiculously overpowered character. I mean, there was no balance to him at all. He could just stomp absolutely anything, which was really cool to be playing Juggernaut and running through a level just crushing everything that's in your path so thank you for tuning in to the video game cast (laughs) we wanted to talk to some about something positive before we got to comic books this week well you know (laughs) one of the reasons why i don't have time to play video games is because i read so many damn comic books for instance war of the superman well played sir (laughs) uh wayne you read war of the superman this week i did and i was at least mostly disappointed you didn't think this one was a better book than issue two? Um, yeah, hand in hand. I was disappointed with issue two as well. Well, and as was I. And you know, we 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 beat on issue two uh, uh, pretty solidly last time. But I felt like the artwork was a little bit better this time around, and the story didn't annoy me as much. I mean, I'm annoyed that everything keeps happening to Supergirl, and she doesn't switch sides. I mean, they've shown her to be a you know, a teenager that's apt to fall in with the wrong crowd, shall we say. God, I said like I'm 80 or something. Get off my yard, kid. And yet, even after Krypton's destroyed, her mother is killed, she loses her powers in space and almost suffocates. She still comes to the human's defense. Yeah. I, I don't see the character there. I mean, they don't see the character we've seen of Supergirl all this time until now. One of the things I had a problem with, you know, they, they, they turn our yellow sun red, which was General Lane's big moves, move so that they could make the Kryptonians powerless. All of the new Kryptonians die in space. Superman and Supergirl, also in space, don't die. I can make some assumptions as to why that didn't happen, but uh, they don't explain it in the book. And, you know, and I can make the assumption that, you know, well, they've been under a yellow sun much longer than the new Kryptonians, and maybe they've got, you know, a greater reserve of, of power and ability. But none of that stated in the book to explain why, you know, to everyone on the new Kryptonians that were in space died. I wasn't sure if they all died or just some of them died, but that's. It doesn't matter. You know, most of them died out there that were just loose in space. I, I thought the artwork was a lot stronger this time around, though it seems to me like he's aping Gary Frank quite a bit. You know, you know, now that you mentioned, I didn't even notice it, but the artwork does seem better. Looking at Supergirl's face on these pages, because that was what I bitched about most last week. Yeah. I don't have any complaints about it in this book. Yeah, no, there wasn't anything that jumped out at me and said, ooh, this is bad, whereas there was a lot of that in the last time. And I particularly uh, like the way he draws Ursa. I thought Ursa yeah. was well drawn this time around. So anyway, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm in for for big issue number four, uh, which is coming up this week. So yep, I'm looking forward to it. See the end of this, and uh, I'm actually looking forward to seeing what Straczynski's going to do on the title. I might just stick around. Yeah, I'm rather jazzed for for JMS. I'm I'm I am uh, I'm stoked 
as I know Jonathan is. I think what we'll find out is someone actually had a uh, had a baby with Lex Luthor years ago, and that baby was sent off, and that he never knew about it. I, I you know, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. So there was another DC event that uh, came out this week. We have a brightest day update. Brightest day number two. Um, and I think I'm the only one who read it on the show this week. Uh, the book was actually pretty good this week. We got to see uh, getting in a, a little bit more on what's going on with Firestorm. So uh, the Ray Palmer Adam, not dead Asian Adam, uh, shows up to help out with figuring out what's going on with Firestorm. And there is actually some sort of intelligence within the Firestorm Matrix that is keeping Firestorm melded within his two personalities and preventing him from splitting off. So I, I thought that was that was kind of interesting. We did get to see a little bit more on uh, some of the villains that are associated with Brightest Day. In fact, you know, people are finding out that some of the heroes have returned, and so suddenly some heroes, some villains are emerging, kind of like what we saw with Black Manta in issue one. We're seeing. Uh, a serial killer emerge who has a thing for the Martian Manhunter. And so, you know, immediately kills her whole family and, you know, starts heading out that direction. And we get to see a lot of Martian Manhunter this time. Uh, we're really laying the seeds for all how all of these characters who are brought back at the end of uh, Blackest Night are interconnected and, you know, a little bit more detail on why there's an overarching thread in Brightest Day. So anyway, I, I thought it was interesting. There's really not enough there to, to say this is what the story is, except the very end of the book, spoiler warning, Dead Man, who is now, I guess, Live Man, <laughs> uh, <laughs> winds up heading to the antimatter universe and running into the anti-monitor. And that's kind of like the last page. Dead Man versus the anti-monitor next time in Brightest Day. He doesn't even have any powers now, does he? Yeah, but, you know, he's not been able to interact with anything. He's only been an observer, you know, so he he's, he's alive, but he's still a voyeur. You know, really, really can't, you know, do anything. So interesting, interesting. So I'm um, the artwork very good in this in this book. Enjoyed the story. Even the uh, Hawkman and Hot Girl piece did not annoy me near as much as it did in the last book. So anyway, good stuff. You know, I think since you talked about something none of us read, we should talk about something you didn't read. Okay, that seems fair. <laughs> All right, who wants to start off with X Men Legacy two thirty six? Ooh ooh ooh! <laughs> it was good. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all that excitement. Ed. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I, well, I, I, I find that uh, out of all the, this is chapter eight in the series, and it was by far the weakest so far. I thought. What'd you guys I don't think? Know if I'd say, I don't know if I'd say the weakest so far. It's going to toss up with the last two weeks before it. To me, it seems like we're in a new phase of the story. The f- whole first phase was getting hope to the X-Men. Now that she's there, it seems like it's the middle part of the story. And it's been kind of downplayed. I had a major b- bitch this time, though. I have a major, major complaint, jump the shark style complaint. And I bet you Wayne's going to say the same thing. So, Wayne, go. Okay, my bitch was that they start building this whole dome. And who does Cyclops send to stop the dome? Iceman and Archangel. What the hell are Iceman and Archangel going to do to stop a big energy dome? This guy's been working with them since they were all teenagers, and he doesn't realize that their powers are useless against big energy domes closing around him? Okay, that wasn't my complaint. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't didn't think it would be your complaint. No, no, but I see your point. But to be honest, Wayne, who would you have sent up there? You're Scott Summers. What are you going to do? 
You got three seconds. I'm not going to send Iceman and Archangel. Come I mean, on, Boy I... Scout. What are you going to do? <laughs> Even Storm would have been better. I mean, I'm not the one they leading can't, the X-Men. They can't, they can't tell Storm to do too much because then it might trigger readers' memories and be like, isn't she supposed to be in, like, uh, you know, Africa? Yeah, what's it? Uh, Wakanda. Yeah, is she supposed to be in Do More? Right, hey, I was just be. glad when we saw the Avengers back there that no. we didn't see Wolverine standing there with them because oh, that would have that would have actually been the ultimate in continuity, you know, errors if he would have been standing with the new Avengers on the outside of the dome and on with the X Men <laughs> on the inside. See, I, I think they should just embrace it. What they what they should do is when the Avengers show up, then Wolverine's like. Oh, good. This was this was going downhill. <laughs> I could just uh, go over here to the team that seems to be doing all right. That <laughs> that is my that is my major jump to shark complaint. That whole Avenger scene seems very much like a editor in chief meeting. We're like, hey, we're really pumping the Avengers. You need to throw this in your story. And the X Men. Uh, well, yeah, we I disagree of, with that. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, it, it, to me it makes it makes sense that like, you know, Norman Osborn is no longer running running Marvel, so you know it. The, there's this big dome, and it's threatening the uh, the uh, coast of uh, San Francisco and and everything like that. Why wouldn't the Avengers show up? You guys are on crack. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I've been enjoying this X Men story. And now it's like I was eating a steak, and somebody took a big old scoop of like chocolate chip ice cream and threw it on my steak. I like well, both, but not right here like this. Don't we all bitch about these major events happening, and you're left wondering, well, where's everybody else when this is happening? They actually took the time to explain it. I have never bitched about a major event. <laughs> <laughs> not this week. That's, that's true. That's true, because I wouldn't consider Blackest Night to be a major event. I just feel like you do not need the Avengers to tell the story and they're going to be outside this dome and they're not, I I feel like they're not going to really contribute to the story. And I feel like it was a marketing thing. Well, here's the big problem with the Avengers showing up is that in the Avengers own book, they're not going to be there. That's what I have a problem with. Yeah. And Wolverine will be there, but you know, they'll, they won't bother to explain it away, so it's okay. I, yeah, I know completely not. unokay way. Teleport in and outside of this dome. I don't know why he's worried about anything. <laughs> yeah, Beast will be okay too. But I, I will yeah. say that I like, I like Greg Land's uh, artistic rendition of the Avengers. Maybe more so than you know what we're going to talk about later. So everyone thinks Wolverine has this big healing factor, and that his ability is basically to not die. In reality, his ability is just to be in twenty places at once. So if he dies, it doesn't matter. He's still there. You know that makes so much sense because then Deadpool can say, "Well, I got I got his power too." That's right. So I I kind of had a problem with it, but I I don't know. I guess we'll see if they play if the Avengers play a major part in taking down that dome. I guess I can stop bitching that it was a marketing ploy, but it still seems like they put their peanut butter in the chocolate, and I'm not sure it's going to taste so good this time. And I, I think I think from a, a story aspect, it's the only thing that's going to work, Tim, because. Uh, you know, Bastion has been planning his his attack around around these mutants, so it seems like the Avengers would have to be the ones who take down the dome. 
Oh, I was waiting for Magneto to get up and start whooping ass, but I guess that's just me. No. Yeah, and I, to be honest, I probably would have bitched if we hadn't seen something in there. Because, I mean, the city is just covered in a dome. Somebody is going to show up. Whether they play a part or not, I want to see more of these little, here's why they're not helping things. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, after after last time, when I realized that X Factor had nothing to do with Second Coming, I went ahead and picked up this issue anyway, so I can get the rest of the uh, the story we were starting, which apparently is a three part, not a two part. And really, all I have to say about it was Jonathan was actually completely right. I let that sink in. I didn't. I didn't hear you. <laughs> so if you remember last time it, it had ended with the the army basically gathered around the jeep and they opened fire and i'm like wow they actually killed all these characters and jonathan put me in my place and said didn't you know that shatterstar had this power that he could sense where things came from and that there's no way the whole thing was a Not setup shatterstar long shot long shot yeah and sure you enough, in your place that, again <laughs> yep well it's not like i read this book but yeah sure enough that's exactly what happened they, when they handed him the money, he knew exactly where it came from, and they spelled that out on page. The whole thing was a setup, and he called it completely and totally every bit. Revel in that. I don't think I'll say that very often. Well, so, now it's now it's recorded, so maybe Aaron will like weave it through the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really not one to do that. No. <laughs> no. See, I what think it would the, work well. You could you could just split into sections. You know, Jonathan saying uh, my taste is shit, and then then me saying. Jonathan is completely right. <laughs> we need what, to auto-tune um, that and make it our theme. <laughs> now, Peter, Peter David wrote that book. So tell me about the last page, the only page that matters in a Peter David book. <laughs> what, was, what was the shocking ending of that, of that issue, Wayne? It wasn't really a shocking ending. They're sending Trask to take control of the X-Factor situation because X-Factor is making them look like fools. It wasn't like a big cliffhanger or anything. He's... He's slipping then. No one, ki- no one, no one kissed anybody. Nope. No one died, and then is nope. back the next issue. No. Okay. Oh well. Well, technically, the entire team died last issue, but didn't really. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, he, he had to leave it with that because you know he he promised that X Factor would have a sh- you know shocking endings, and then when you're like that ending was shocking, he's like he's like what are you a homophobe? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's that's enough on Peter David and his <laughs> crappy book. Well, what about Matt Fraction and Invincible Iron Man number twenty six? Oh, Matt Fraction, a good writer and a good book that I'm no longer reading because what? of continuity. Okay. <laughs> Anybody else read Invincible Iron Man twenty six? Am I the only no. one that read this book? I read it. Oh, okay. Wayne, what you think? Um, I'm enjoying the the writing. I'm enjoying the direction. This you know this issue was kind of a a slow one, but. It's building to something. Mm-hmm. I'm on board. I, I have to say the uh, the artwork is really very enjoyable in this book, and it has been from the time I picked up, started picking up Invincible Iron Man in the previous storyline. Salvador La Roca just you know does some amazing things on these panels, and I, I just like how simple and clean the book is laid out. You know, it's just very straightforward. I I, I, I really enjoy that. I'm still not sure what I think of the new armor, though. I mean, he says the line at one point that uh, what he's wearing isn't really clothes and that the suit's mass is all stored in the hollow of his bones. Right. That sounds really stupid. Yeah. I I, I don't know what I think about the new suit gimmick. The suit itself looks fine to me. I like all the little glowy bits. 
I, I, I enjoyed that this book is really kind of helping us bridge the story between Captain America and Iron Man. Um, I, I, I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the story. I said I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. I'm on board. I'm just not sure about the armor. I don't like, like – for some reason, I would have no problem with the armor if it were a living entity like the old Exo Manowar armor. Right. I had no problem with it flowing over someone. But an Iron Man armor to me shouldn't come out of his bones. Right. It's just really lame. Yeah, I, I I like it when it's more of a of a tool as opposed to as opposed to being so much a part of himself. You know, I don't mind that he's got some kind of neural interface and he's able to almost like a telepathic communication with his armor. I don't have a problem with that. But you know, and we'll talk more about the Iron Man movie in another show. But I like when the when when his suit is in a briefcase. <laughs> you know, and it, he has to he has to suit up. I like that. I don't like that it's so easy for him to you know almost do a Wonder Woman spin and he's in his Iron Man suit. The times they are changing, and I would say uh, in another five years, Iron Man will be much more machine than man, much more. Now, uh, Wayne, what did you think of Detroit Steel? It kind of reminded well, it reminded me of the Iron Man movie actually, but it's the second second issue we've seen it in. I mean, it it looks like it's something that came right out of the movie. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of Super Patriot from uh, the the Image comics. You know, all the all the stars and stripes and whatnot on it, and all the the, the guns and all that kind of fun stuff. I I really got a kick out of that. Except it's a giant killer robot. Yeah, yeah, I like the giant killer robot part. Anyway, I liked Iron Man. I liked Iron Man twenty six. It was good stuff. Uh, I'm I'm actually jealous that you got to read it, and I'm sticking to my guns because <laughs> it was I saw I saw it on the shelf, and it, it was just eating me alive but i was just like i can't can't give in to you fraction <laughs> you sweet sweet in. seductress i've never really cared for the character except for you know occasional like the armor wars and things like that but i'm finding that between the movies and between everything they did uh, during that last arc that led up to this one i'm really enjoying the character now it's good stuff yeah, stuff. he's he's now an A-list character, and he no longer really needs to be on a team book. And if he wasn't on a team book, then I could pick up this awesome ongoing. That's all I'm saying. I, I debated very hard whether or not I was going to pick up Legion of Superheroes number one by Paul Levitz. But the the solicits for it and the cover art really had me kind of jazzed. The cover art's what sold me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I have said before that I've always wanted to like Legion of Superheroes, but there are always so many damn characters that I've never been able to keep them straight. I think that uh, it's a special talent people must have to be able to follow these gigantic uh, cast of characters. Which thing? You know, and the only reason I really know any of the characters for the most part was from the various cartoons. Right. When they guest starred on the uh, the JLA our place was Justice League Unlimited at that point. And then their own cartoon I watched for a while, too. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this. I'm on board for the series. I have to say, I was stunned by a couple of things in this book. One, it was a three ninety nine book that was 100% original content. Um, it was you know a nice, big, chunky book. There's a lot to read here. Paul Levitz is not somebody who is a deconstructed storyteller. There is a ton of stuff on the page. There's a lot going on. And as somebody who has always had trouble identifying the Legion beyond their you know main core cast, I was able to follow what was going on. Yeah, I mean, 
it's clearly written as a first issue. I mean, it, yeah, well, it is a first issue, but they take <laughs> the time to explain who the characters are without overwhelming you with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I was tuned in and I was hooked and I am in for this series. I, I, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, and I've got a like I said, the cover was what sold me. And for anyone that didn't see the cover, it's a basically a fist with a Legion ring on one finger and a Green Lantern ring on the next. That was really cool. I knew there was one Green Lantern that had been part of the Legion, but of course he's dead now after uh, Legion of Three Worlds. So yeah, I, I'm definitely hooked. I'm in. Thoroughly enjoyed this book, and I'm, I'm eager for the for the second issue. So yay on Paul Levitz. So that wasn't the only. Uh number one that DC came out with this week. Zatanna 1 came out this week. It did. Aaron, you got this book. I did. What was your thoughts? Well, number one, Stephanie Rue, who did the artwork on the book. Beautiful, beautiful art- artwork in this book. I just, you know, every page is a joy to look at. I, It's just, it's stunning, really. The story was fine. It's a Paul Dini story. It was enjoyable, and I'm in for issue two, but it wasn't anything that wowed me. Yeah, no, I, I I agree that the the art was definitely the high point of this book. The like, the yeah, the story was kind of a, a, a C plus B minus for me. Yeah, um, I thought you could have went a little stronger for an issue one. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I noticed was is that Zatanna is based out of San Francisco. It looks like yes. Isn't that kind of going against the flow of DC of using these made-up like cities? Well, they they do use some real cities. Like the Teen Titans were based in New York City. Oh, that's true. And so was Kyle Rayner for a long time. So it's not unheard of. No, it's okay. just common if the city is actually part of the setting. I mean, if it doesn't really matter where the character is, I've seen him th- go real cities quite a few times. Yeah, an airwave was based in uh, Dallas, so you know. <laughs> Uh, awkward silence. <laughs> and for the record, Teen Titans has also been based in San Francisco as well. Yeah, I should, have, I should. I should have known that. I'm a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> There's know. an audio clip. <laughs> you know, if we keep this up, he's not going to need us for any episodes. He's just going to record an episode by himself and throw in recorded content of us. All part of my master plan. So, Jonathan, what did you think of this? My taste is shit. <laughs> Jonathan is completely right. I'm a jackass. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So, uh, Tim, are you going to pick up number two? I think so. I think the art was good enough to give to continue the story. Okay, so other than the art, tell me one thing you liked about the book. Um, well, I like the character. I, I always like characters that are kind of magic using of like Dr. Strange of like Zatanna. Mm-hmm. So just her character in general was interesting. I kind of like the uh, San Francisco detective guy. Yeah. I thought he was, if he sticks around for a while, he'll be an interesting, uh, you know, secondary character. And I like, and, but maybe basically it was the art. <laughs> yeah. The art really is the, the lead in this, which is, you know, surprising when you've got Paul Dini writing. Cause you know, Paul Dini is the shit, but uh, the art is really stunning in this book. And I, I, if we could have more scenes where Zaytana is taking a bath, oh god, yes, that would be great. You know, she there 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 are parts of the book where she changes from her fishnets into a trench coat, pants, turtleneck. We should have fewer of those scenes. She should always be in fishnets. That should be the rule. That is the reason why you come to the show. <laughs> Zaytana and fishnets. Just saying. Or not or nothing. 
or that bubble bath. Too. I'm good on the bubble bath scenes. So, you know, now a good book uh, beyond, you know, looking at how pretty Zaytana is. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. It like I said, like, like Tim and I said, it's not the strongest story in the world. It's not, and I, and I guess when I say that, it's just not a surprising story. There wasn't anything there you haven't read a hundred times. You know, right. it just seemed like you're okay. We need to have a first issue of Zaytana. Um, the cop will come and tell her about some, uh, mystical crime that has occurred. Yeah. Yep. And here's, and here's a cadre of new villains for her to deal with. Yeah. And in some respects, it didn't read altogether differently than, you know, one of the early novels of the Dresden files. She's, she's consulting for the police department anyway. I, but it, again, I, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to dog on it. It's, I just want to emphasize that the story wasn't as strong as I would have liked it to have been, but everything is there. I think this has the, the, the makings of, of, a, of a good comic. So there you go. Yep. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are now into the heroic age. And you know this because there's a heroic age banner on your Marvel books now. There certainly is. I'm staring right at it. I uh, actually don't care for the design of the banner. Yeah, I have no problem with that. I don't really care either way. I'm just kind of ignoring the banner. No, are you? I, I don't. I don't. It, it, just from from an, an art an artistic uh, you know bent and, and their branding, it just doesn't jazz me. I don't like it. I like the speech. It, it looks kind of like Word Art in Microsoft Word. That's exactly what it looks like. Yeah, we have we have we have 15 minutes to come up with a banner. Go. Yeah, and all the artists were out at lunch, so you know they had one of the uh, you know assistant editors go go and do the smart art function in Word. <laughs> well, you know, all right. Look, to to be fair, like I'm looking at Avengers number one right here. Uh huh. Compared to the artwork of the cover, the banner oh. is great. <laughs> well, and you're you're absolutely right, Jonathan. Um, and I won't be looping that that quote, by the way. <laughs> one of the things that that bugs me about the cover of this book is how hunched all their shoulders are, and I I don't know. John Romita Jr. is a is a fantastic artist, but boy, he is not doing cover work that I think is admirable at all. Uh, I have not cared for his Do More covers, and certainly not the cover of, of Avengers number one. And I hate to bag on him, but come on. Uh, I I am going to enjoy bagging on him because his artwork throughout throughout this entire book was absolutely awful, awful. Yeah, I was not a fan either. I, it it broke it broke the story because the story itself of Avengers one was actually kind of interesting, but yeah, I I I am right there with you. I thought the Brian Michael Bendis story was was interesting, engaging. Uh, I, I'm right there for it. I what threw me out, and I don't know if you guys felt the same way. I did not care for the way uh, Steve Rogers was depicted. He looked like a child. You know, he didn't. Every every page you're looking at him, he looks like the youngest one there. He looks younger than Peter Parker. Yeah, I kind of noticed that, but. It didn't really bother me. Ugh, bothered the hell out of me. In fact, you know, you put him and Bucky Cap next to each other. Bucky Cap looks older than uh, than Steve Rogers. Uh, I didn't care for that. I, now, I don't remember uh, seeing Bucky without his mask. Well, but, and, and, and he, you guys, you guys uh, mentioned the story and then just moved on without my ability to be like, "What are you guys nuts? The story was awful." <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of curious. Has anyone actually seen the next Avengers? No, I haven't. I haven't either. And I mean, that's basically this story is tied in with that cartoon movie, I'm guessing, because those are the characters that are on the first page. Yeah. So I, I'm going to have to rent this thing just to watch it, having no idea. You know, I had no interest in it before, but if it's going to be tie into the story, I'd like to at least watch it and see who these characters are. 
Yeah. You know, uh, there, there was, tell us what you thought about the story, Jonathan, because apparently you disagree with us. Well, because, all right, for, like, this is, this is not the type of story that you tell in Avengers number one. This is the story that you tell in, like, Avengers number 33 to 35. <laughs> it's, uh, like, for, for a, for a first, first arc of, of this new title, which is gonna be the staple of, uh, of the, the heroic age in the Marvel universe. Really, they're gonna they're gonna go into the future and stop their maybe children who are working for Hulk. Really, <laughs> that's the story that you're gonna tell in issue one. That's basically a Fantastic Four story, and I kept I did keep thinking like halfway through this book when uh, King shows up with something Tony's invented. It's like how many times we've seen that in Fantastic Four? Oh, there's something horrible in the future. We have to go to the future to save. I mean, it seemed to me like it was a Fantastic Four story with the Avengers shoehorned in. And also, like Aaron and I both read the space books, and this seemed a little too soon. From it seemed like we were just reading about Kang approaching uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy for help mm-hmm. and what they were doing. And I'm just like, so my opinion of Kang is that he's just a beggar. He's just like, he's like <laughs> I. He's like, I am the master of time, but I need your help. I need help. You know, the coolest scene in this entire book, though, was Kang shows up, and without really giving him a chance to say anything, <laughs> Thor just smashes the hell out of him. And everyone's talking, and uh, Hawkeye's just like, yeah, that's what it's like being on Avengers team with Thor. Yeah, that I thought was, that was hysterical. That was great. Yeah. And I just love, you know, Kang is, you know, knocked out of the building, crashes, uh, you know, across the street, through, you know, the, the chimney of another building. I mean, just, you know, just laid the smack down on him. Love that. Yeah. And I, le- I did like a lot of the Steve Rogers, uh, Tony Stark conversation in the opening part, too. I did, too. I did too. I, I I like how they're they're addressing the relationship, and it's not just bam, it's all fixed. But we see that everybody is, you know, it's a heroic age now, and so we're we're trying to work through our past differences. Yeah, but, and they didn't just start off with everything resolved either, because yeah. you have Thor looking at uh, at Bucky Cap and be like, "I'm sorry, I don't know who you are." Now, I, I you know, I, I disagree with you with you, Jonathan. I I think that uh, this was the right story to have. I just think it was the wrong artist. My taste is shit. I would definitely say wrong art and and like I agree with the scenes that you guys are liking. Mm-hmm. Like I agree with that. But the I mean those things could have happened regardless of what the plot was. Those scenes could have happened. And I think that the plot was a big a big pile of steaming fail. <laughs> and uh and I like um, have you guys read any of the uh Marvel Adventures books or anything like that, any or like X Men First Class, any of these books? No, I haven't read it. Not either. lately, but I used to read a lot of those. All right, well, that's what this made. That's that's what this brought this book brought to mind because I'm I'm reading it and I'm like, am I too old to be reading this book? <laughs> well, and the artwork certainly had me feeling like I was reading an all ages book. Well, the, but the, see the, the the no 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 the all the ages story also have, the all ages books have much crisper much cleaner art than this. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with Wade, but the uh, the 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 story like it just the dialogue the 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 dialogue just felt juvenile to me. 
Oh, I I didn't feel that way at all. No, I like I liked it. Yeah, I mean, I, and again, I, I I enjoyed the story. If you could if you could have placed another artist on this book um, who wasn't trying to work out some personal issues, because I, I think that might be what's going on here with Mister Ramita Jr. But uh, uh, <laughs> I, I I I do I I really enjoyed it. I, I I thought this was the right book, right time, right place, wrong artist. That's Aaron saying that J.R. Jr. is working through a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> he may be because I, I, I have I have really enjoyed his artwork in previous books. But this ain't it. Yeah, and he does some. There's some things that that you can tell that are better than others, but I don't know when you get like frontal frontal views of people's face. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Now you know uh, when I when I run the Earth, I'm going to be just like uh, Future Hulk. You know the maestro, and just sit around ass naked. <laughs> that is that is exactly my move. That's pro tip right there. <laughs> <laughs> the flaming anvil behind you. That's right. That's right. Uh-huh. So, um, did any of you guys read the oral history of the Avengers at the back of the book? No, I glanced through it, but I didn't read it. Yeah, I, I glanced through it too. I read I, it. I I really enjoyed it. I it, what it is is it's kind of a. Uh, you know how everyone has a different perspective on things, so it's like you have interviewed the characters talking about the origin of the Avengers, and this is going to be an, an ongoing thread uh, throughout this series of the Avengers. I really dug that. I, I thought that was nice. And again, you know, I'm not a fan of the 3.99 price point, but there was not a moment in this book other than the absence of a credible artist. Um, where I felt like I was getting screwed. I, I got a lot of original content in this book, and I felt like while three ninety nine is still too high a price to pay, I felt like it was uh, approaching uh, a worthwhile price. You know, I I, I felt like I got value for my dollar. <laughs> oh God, really? Yeah, I do. I well, and I loved. You know, these are, they're 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 running some uh, art prints that uh, were not in wide distribution. So you've got this nice Arthur Adams, Laura Martin print of the Avengers in the book, as well as uh, a Jack Kirby, Dean white print. And they're going to be running a bunch of those kinds of, uh, of, uh, of artwork through there. So I, you know, I, I, again, I, I, I hate to keep, keep saying it, but, uh, John Romita jr. Not your best work. Everybody else, everybody else was on fire in this book, in my opinion. <laughs> but John Romita jr. Did not bring. All right. Bring, all, right, all, right, all, right all right. Here, here we go. Here, let me break <laughs> it down. All right. We're all we're all Marvel people. All right, we're sitting in a meeting and we're discussing Heroic Age, the Avengers first book we're going to release for the Heroic Age is going to be great. Uh, it's going to be about heroes fighting villains. Uh, you know, no more of this Civil War stuff. You know, we're we're going to move past that and bring it back. So, all right, Bendis, what's your first story arc? Well, I'm thinking that. Uh, in the essence of, of heroes fighting villains, we're going to send the Avengers to the future in which they will face off against their children. <laughs> if that's what's really going to happen, though. That's right. And they fought a villain. Thor knocked Kang on his ass. <laughs> yeah, but Kang's not a villain. Uh, like, sure I, sure I he is. Seen, no, all right. May, maybe He's Kang a total bad to, guy. Maybe Kang used to be a villain, but all I see him do is show up and beg for help. He sat there with Tony Stark's doomsday weapon and threatened to blow up the city. He's a villain. Or he was pointing out that Tony Stark is a villain. Again, uh, that's another <laughs> that's another move. That's another move that just all that did was call back to Tony Stark being a bastard 
someone who would come up with this doomsday device like he's Dr. Doom or something. It's and, Im- uh, it's important to remember where you came from. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were I thought we were moving past that. Like I I'm not seeing here and like heroes fighting villains also doesn't mean heroes fighting the Hulk to me either because I yeah, want to the- move past that as well. That, but the but maestro that- is a villain of the future. Who? Yeah, and that the maestro. The, That's what the Hulk is called in, in the future. Hulk. Yeah, in the future imperfect stories. Does he conduct an orchestra? He does. An orchestra oh. of pain. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's an homage to the earlier Avengers days where they turned on the Hulk in Avengers like four or five back in the sixties. Yeah. I think that might be more how that conversation happened. Well, I think we need to throw it back to stuff that happened in the past. Well, let's get an old villain like Kang or somebody, and then we'll we'll get him to fight Hulk. But we can't use the regular Hulk because all seventeen of them are in their own <laughs> book and tied up. Even though we could probably you know just ignore that fact and borrow one. But yeah, you know, I wonder if there's the future. I wonder if they're sitting there and uh, Chris Yost is like, "Hey, I wrote this movie." New Avenger or Avenger, next Avengers. God, I can't even think of the name. It sounds so yeah. bad. I wrote this movie and no one's buying it. Where can we throw them into regular continuity to make people want to see this movie? And Bendis is like, I can take that. I'll do it <laughs> over here. Oh, so it's like another marketing decision. Honestly, uh. I think it might be. I mean, I don't know what the sales were like on this thing, but it's been out for at least a year now, maybe more. Actually. Yeah, September second, two thousand eight, was when it was released. Well, and the concept, the concept for next Avengers, because every Marvel movie, I've, or you know, the X Men DVDs and stuff, they they have it all over it, and uh, I'm just like, that just doesn't sound like a good concept. Like it compared to the other Marvel movies, like I'll watch those because while they might may not really fit with what the comics are doing. You know, at least they make sense with what the comics are doing. This whole next Avengers thing, I'm like, that just sounds like they just. I mean, like so, these char- none of these characters could actually ever exist in the Marvel universe, but they're going to they're going to wedge them in and and uh, and ignore the loopholes. Yeah, I mean the so characters and like the characters in like MU two, the old uh, Spider Girl, and all of those. Those were at least believable for what those characters were. I mean, it was more of a that should have been labeled all ages, but I still really enjoyed Spider Girl for a long time. But these characters, you're right, that don't I don't see how that they would ever exist. But it also leads back to one of my bitches about every future these heroes ever see has to be one where either somebody one of their own is turned evil and destroyed the world, or otherwise the world is destroyed. Every future, you've got the future with Hulk, where he's the maestro leading the world. X-Men, you've got Days of Future Past and various every other future that's horrible. <laughs> Fantastic Four, you've got multiple ways the world ends. You know Why does every time you have a time travel story, it involve the future being this horrible thing that, you know, isn't there? This is the heroic age. These guys are heroic. They're supposed to be fighting villains again. Why does the world have to go to shit? Why can't they make a difference and have a glowing world like like the world the Legion of Superheroes is in? It's not a perfect world at all. They have horrible things happening in their world. But it's at least not a post-apocalyptic nightmare world. I'm just saying for for the first issue of the Heroic Age, why couldn't like, you know, Doctor Doom show up and they lay the smack down on him in a three-issue story arc? Well, That's all I'm saying. When, when they show But when they he's show in Doom the- World, right? 
He's in Doom War right now. He couldn't. Oh, be he's here. everywhere right now. You think Bendis cares about that? Come on. <laughs> so I think we need to lay down. Hit the hit the Jonathan Landreth button on your wacky soundboard effect thing, Aaron, and we'll uh-huh. call it a day on this. Okay. All right. <laughs> so you know, uh, Atlas Number One. Who read that one? Also, a I did. Page book. Now, Jonathan, you have in the past not much cared for Agents of Atlas. You said that they were out; they, they should be outside of Marvel. Uh, you felt that it was more of a DC book. And I know you've kind of come around on your uh, your thoughts on Agents of Atlas. What did you think of this book? I was disappointed, and let me tell you why. Um, you just want me made happy this week, will you? <laughs> no, like like I said. I mean, early earlier in this in this podcast, I mentioned that X Men Legacy was uh, the worst. In the in the story, uh, the second coming storyline, and it was my book of the week, hmm. <laughs> um, because it, here I think that that Atlas run uh, along the same uh, a similar problem to the Avengers number one, and uh, that is approach. Like I think that they took the wrong approach for a number one issue, for a starter issue. Like if you're if you're someone who's never read agents of atlas or anything like that and you're picking up this book who are you reading about in this book aaron are you reading about the agents of atlas yeah or you're sadly reading about 3d man yeah yeah and it's all like it's all about him like that's it that i mean this is not this is not a a a first issue uh storyline to Mm -hmm. me i mean you you've got to agree there right well, I I would disagree that it's. I mean, I, I think that they don't do themselves any favor with with any do themselves any favors with a number one on the cover, because you know Agents of Atlas is telling a much broader story, and they they've done like you know uh, story volumes within that larger story, and this is this is doing the same thing. And so if you're if you're coming to Agents of Atlas and grabbing issue one, going oh this is a great place to start off, I don't think that does the trick. You know, because you're absolutely right. You're not meeting the agents in this book. You're meeting 3D Man. You know, who's who? You're seeing just glimpses of what he's seen of the Atlas folks, just to kind of on the periphery. Yeah. So you know, you come into this and you've got no idea who these characters are, yeah. except for 3D Man, who isn't even part of the team. The dude. The dude's name is 3D Man. Yeah, his Aren't name we? used to be Triathlon, <laughs> but the the original character as devised back in the 50s uh, was 3D Man, was 3D Man all the way up until the 90s. I think Kurt Busiek, and I could be getting that wrong, uh, in the in his Avengers run, flipped him to Triathlon, and uh, that's what he's been called for a while, and then they flipped him back to 3D Man. Is this like a pop-up book? <laughs> he has everything in threes. He's got the speed, strength, and you know intelligence of three men. Well, couldn't we call him triple play or something less <laughs> lame? Three P. You know, I find <laughs> I find it hard to believe that he actually has the intelligence of three men. Because if he did, he could come up with a name better than three D man. Amen. <laughs> well, he doesn't have the creativity of three men; just the intelligence. <laughs> Aren't we all three D men? I guess the question is, which three men? <laughs> Good point. Now, uh, I liked the book, but I didn't read it coming into a, a coming into it as a as a first issue. I just thought this is the continuing story of the Agents of Atlas. And you know, 
reading it that way, I really enjoyed it, you know, because there's a larger story that Jeff Parker's telling uh, with this mythology that he's built up around uh, his Atlas characters. But beyond that, um, the thing that I enjoyed probably the most in this whole in this whole book was one of the last pages where they're teasing the Gorilla Man uh, miniseries that's coming up. Oh, yeah, I am all over that. Really excited about the Gorilla Man mini. All right, well, <laughs> I, w- I would say that uh, having read uh, Atlas after reading Avengers number one, I thought it was stellar. Um, I thought that uh, that the dialogue was well written. Mm-hmm. Good job, Jeff Parker. Um, and you made Bendis look like a fool this week. Oh, so um, you know, both of these books, Atlas and Avengers Number One, have that heroic age banner that uh, that I don't care yeah. for. Um, what do you guys feel like the heroic age is going to be about? What do you think that uh, that that means <laughs> when you see that heroic age banner on a book? What's that communicating to you? Well, I well, was hoping I, it would. You go ahead, Jonathan. I know you have a lot to say about it. <laughs> well, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was hoping it would mean you're going to see heroes fighting villains again. You're going to see a hearkening to the day, you know, basically to the glory days of these heroes are the pinnacles to be looked up to, to be revered. And they're going out and they're fighting the bad guys and basically kind of a move away from the gray area where no one is a, no one's a hero. No one's a villain. Everyone's in between and back into a more clear cut heroes, villains. You can put a character clearly in one of those buckets. Tim? Except because uh, I had that same assumption, Wayne, until I read Avengers number one and I see a villain show up and ask for help. And I see kids that, you know, for people who might have watched the movie, they were heroic characters. They get to see them being the the destruction of the world. And uh, But again, and, that's only what we've been told. I'll be very disappointed in this arc if that ends up being true. I mean, what I think is going to happen is and it may be a little overly predictable, is that when they go to the future, they'll find out they've been lied to this whole time, and their kids are the heroes. Yeah, I, 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 I'm oh. kind of right there with you, uh, uh, Wayne. I, I, I feel like we haven't gotten the whole story. Kang rarely shoots straight with you. You know, Kang's a bad guy, and I know that Jonathan hasn't seen that yet, but Kang's a bad guy. I don't trust anything he says. When I see that banner, I'm thinking it's more of a a indication of what kind of time we're in. Mm-hmm. I think this is it's more of a way for Marvel to say we get it. A lot of you didn't like Civil War and Secret Invasion and all this innuendo about who's bad guy, who's a good guy, who's an in between and that we are going away from that. And I think Oh, you can go that, back even farther than that, Tim. I mean, you can go all the way back to Avengers Disassembled as as the end of of a previous heroic age. Yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah. I think that was the whole point is yeah. Disassembled was starting the story. This is Bendis' long, multi-year vision for the company that they've let him run with. And it started with Disassembled. He had to tear down what was there to build this new, huge, overarching story where everything is part of this bigger story that we've seen at this point. You know, and on the whole, I think it's worked pretty well. I, I, I really admire what Marvel has done in terms of telling, you know, their their really their universe wide story of, you know, starting with disassembled, running into House of M and all of that. They brought us to where we are today. I think that I think it was it was epic what they've done. 
And I think for the most part, it's been successful. You know, the things that, that we that I haven't liked um, have been very specific comic book issues that I thought were, were kind of a letdown. But as a whole, I think it worked. Now, the heroic age banner, I, I think you're right. I think it's communicating a style of story. And, you know, I can see what, what Jonathan's, you know, complaining about in terms of Avengers number one. Um, but I, I really I do think that we're going to find that the kids ain't bad. The kids are all right, I think is what we're going to find. It's it's still it's still a letdown though. Like I said, if if we were if we were reviewing Avengers number thirty three or whatever, this would not bother me at all. This wouldn't even be an issue. Mm-hmm. So you just think it's a bad launching point? It, a horrible launching point, in my opinion. And I think what the rest of us are saying is that you're horribly, horribly wrong. I think that's what we're saying. Horribly, horribly wrong. Couldn't well, I be think, more. Wrong. I think I think that the I think that the rest of you have been uh, reading consistently for longer than I have, except for Tim. And uh, that you know you're you're probably viewing it more as an Avengers number thirty three rather than rather than a number one. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. It doesn't change, however, how horribly horribly wrong you are. Because I this is this is the first true Avengers comic I've ever read. You know, and I would I have to say I do agree that as a number one, this probably wasn't the best best arc they could have started off with first. I kind of would have liked to have seen another arc and have this be the follow-up arc. But that doesn't mean I didn't really enjoy the book. But I do see Jonathan's point. I don't know that this is a good first arc. You're being introduced to the team, and you're being introduced to something that also ties into a movie they made. And time travel, is a, as much as I like time travel, it generally ends up pretty bad in comic books and usually isn't a good way to start a first storyline. Oh, come on. Avengers Forever was fantastic. Did you read Avengers oh. Forever? No, I didn't. And it's a Kang story. And, you know, Kang is is a is a quintessential villain for for the Avengers. So for me, I I feel like this is stoked, steeped, if you will, in Avengers tradition. I'm just I'm right there with it. And had it had there been a better artist on the book, I would have been sprung. Just saying. Well, I don't I don't like some of those team choices in that book, but. I, I'm starting to get Jonathan's point. If I take off my eyeballs and I put in a, a new reader's eyeballs and try to read that book, I'd have been over my brain. Yeah, I mean, and the big spread where he's asking all the different heroes doesn't even say who those heroes are, which is fine because we generally know who who they all are, but a new reader wouldn't necessarily know that. Well, I think the idea is that you're going to tune in to the other Avengers books to figure out, you know, who these people are. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, yeah, like, you don't sound like you're sold. Well, I mean, there's just a lot of people. Like, I I agree completely. Like, like who is who is Green in, in the in the spread where he's where all the heroes are just being stupid? What? Because <laughs> like you've got Wolverine. Yeah, all right. Point me. Point me <laughs> isn't even a statement, Bucky. Uh, but <laughs> but who's who's the chick with pink glasses and a bow who's like OMG? Oh, that—that's a uh, Young Avengers. Yeah, she went by Hawkeye. I don't know what her name will be now that Hawkeye is back as Hawkeye. Yeah. Uh, what's what's with Luke Cage being ultra aggressive on a page of happiness? <laughs> that's so weird. Like he should have been—he should have been down at the bottom with with Wonder Man, who I have no clue who that guy is, except for, uh, except for the fact that Chris was able to rant about him for forty-five minutes last night after we were done recording. <laughs> So I'm like, oh, this guy's obviously from the old the olden days. 
Well, I, I, and you know, Wonder Man is also a uh, a, a traditional Avenger. Um, yeah. Though the, he does have that ominous panel at the end, you know, because if you don't, I'll change it for you. Yeah, another cue into great heroic age, huh? Yeah. Well, maybe he's going to be a villain now. So. Maybe. It sounds like we have some ambivalent feelings about the launch of this new heroic age of Marvel Comics. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, oh. I, I forgot the worst disgrace of this entire book. On that page where they're showing all the heroes? Uh-huh. Tiger's on it. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even give her any lines. She's just got that smile. She's she's smirking right at me like, ha-ha. Yeah. That's screw, right, Jonathan. Screw you, <laughs> screw you Landreth. <laughs> So what did you think? What did you think, Jonathan, of their changing Hawkeye back to Hawkeye and that whole scene where they're discussing that he's, you know, today I am Hawkeye. I think it was. I think it was the correct choice. Although I wish that, you know, if if they were going to do that, they should have given him a new costume. I like that Spider-Man called him on it though. That they actually that they didn't just have him there in the new costume and now he's Hawkeye again. Yeah. Would you like me to make a proclamation? I think I would. Today I am Hawkeye. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very Stan Lee. Today I am Hawkeye. Yeah, I like it. All right. Well, you know, well, I'm sure we'll argue a lot more about the heroic age in future episodes. But uh, that's yeah, it for got, this week, folks. Yeah, we got two more Avengers books coming out. Yeah, three more. Three more. And hey, uh, you know, just as a as a reminder. I'm very excited about this. The Thanos Imperative first issue comes out next week. So, very excited. Oh, that, that, yeah, I'm excited about that. And, you know, I, I think that, that, that that's a great launching point for the heroic age, like the return, like the return of Thanos. Mm-hmm. I think that definitely says heroes versus villains sort yeah. of mentality. But it doesn't um, have a heroic age banner on it. <laughs> yeah, amazingly <laughs> enough. Um, oh, I... I just noticed the the next issue, Avengers number two, Wonder Man attacks. Great, yeah, yeah. So, but Secret Avengers comes out this coming week. I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah, yeah the secret too. the secret is out. There's so. all kinds of continuity issues. That's the secret. <laughs> That's no secret. <laughs> I'm actually thinking about picking up a Thunderbolt. So, oh yeah, uh, now the, I'm pretty excited about Thunderbolts. Thanks for uh, all of your quality comments this week and. Thanks, Jonathan, for whatever you provided. And, no uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll catch I'll you be next back. <laughs> Thanks, guys. See ya. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. My taste is shit. Jonathan was actually completely right. I should have known that. I'm a jackass.